Hi, I'm Philip Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 112. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash The Week in Doubt. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, still think it should be Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. So if you're thinking of getting an Audible subscription anyway, uh, maybe you're some kind of audiobook fiend, um, please visit Audible by using the audible.com slash the week in doubt URL. That way I might get a little something something in return. And who knows, maybe you can get some kind of cool atheist tome or something. All right. Uh, before we start, I'd like to quickly try to give a shout out to some of the most recent Twitter followers. All right, so let's see. Who do we got? Higley Pundit, Bob Ripley, proud to be a carbon-based life form. All right. And he's also an author and a syndicated columnist. That's pretty cool. Kevin, just Kevin. Um, and uh, I like his kind of tagline. Well, excuse me, you right-wing, reactionary, xenophobic, homophobic, anti-education, anti-choice, pro-gun, anti-science, superstitious, deity-worshipping moron. <laughs> the thoughts and or opinions of Kevin do not necessarily reflect those of the weakened out. <clears throat> but they kind of do. And it's pretty funny. Uh, I first became acquainted with Kevin earlier in the week when... Um, some other non-believers and I on Twitter were kind of innocently, good-naturedly sharing our admiration for um, Christopher Hitchens. And some theist dude, uh, I don't know if he was just being a troll or if he's mentally impaired. I know that sounds pretty harsh, but you had to see the uh, Twitter feed kind of ambush the conversation with all this kind of anti-Hitchens rhetoric and... Um, he was asking who did Christopher Hitchens ever stand up to, Hitler, uh, Pol Pot, uh, Stalin, etc., etc. At least a couple of those were uh, World War II dictators, and uh, Hitchens probably wasn't even born to the mid or uh, until the mid to late 40s, so um, I don't think he really could have stood up to them if he wanted to. And I chimed in, tried to be really measured and polite, and said that, Hitchens um, spoke out against radical Islam, genital uh, mutilation, um, child sex abuse in the Catholic Church, and was basically a, a proponent of reason in general, and uh, also tried to bring light to uh, many other affronts to humanity and reason. And the person basically replied, so... Who doesn't? Or something like that. And I said, I tried to, you know, you asked me a question. I tried to give you a decent answer within the limit of 140 characters. And it's funny, he seemed to have this big issue with uh, what was actually one of my favorite Christopher Hitchens quotes. And I actually um, uploaded the excerpt uh, from the, uh, the larger... Uh, debate in which he gives that quote up to uh, the Weekend Out YouTube channel. And the, the gist of it, I'm paraphrasing, is Christopher Hitchens says, just trying to point out the absurdity, you know, of the situation. He, he 
points out that humanity, uh, that Homo sapiens as a species, we've been a, a around um, somewhere in between, maybe just roughly speaking, like a uh, hundred to a quarter, hundred thousand to possibly up to uh, a quarter of a million years. That, that's how long uh, the species has been around, modern humans. Um, and he talks about how for most of that time, we would have suffered and died very short lifespans people possibly dying from things that can be treated easily today like our teeth etc and um then he says it's it's as if god sat around arms folded watching all this suffering you know unfold and then eventually says hmm how can we remedy this and then you know some odd 2000 years ago he says how about we torture someone to death in some obscure part of ancient palestine that should do it um and so and i think there's one of the greatest hitchens quotes i've ever heard i absolutely love it and like i said i'm paraphrasing um and so uh, this um, person had an issue with that. And I'm thinking to myself, and, and I say this as a Hitchens lover, out of all the inflammatory things that Hitch might have said in his lifetime, you're going to attack one of the most, you know, it's this very sensible and rational observation. I don't really know how you uh, argue against it, unless you're some kind of young earth creationist or something like that. But he was kind of demanding proof. He wanted archaeological or scientific evidence that God really stood around uh, with his arms folded um, up until the time of Christ or something like that. And so on the one hand, he doesn't seem to get figurative speech or get kind of Christopher Hitchens' sense of humor. But on the uh, other hand, that is the kind of implication. If, if you take the Bible literally... Or even if you take it figuratively to some degree, if you believe that salvation didn't come till roughly 2,000 years ago, but you believe the mainstream scientific uh, consensus that um, we're a product of evolution and that our species has been around for, um, you know, at least 80 or 100,000 years uh, now, maybe, uh, as I said, up to a quarter of a million years, then how can you argue against that? Obviously, yeah, you're left with kind of a conundrum because all of this suffering, all of this nature, red in tooth and claw, uh, unfolds. And then after, um, you know, the earth has been around for uh, 4.5 billion years, um, after life has been feeding on life for millions and millions and millions of years, uh, finally, 2,000 years ago, you decide to do something about it. Um, and I could get into the whole thing about how there seems to be, you know, if it was a Hollywood movie, I would say plot holes in the whole uh, vicarious redemption uh, theme about uh, Christ dying for the um, for the sins of the world, etc. Uh, I could point to the, as I have in the past, the kind of uh, what I see is the immoral nature of the whole concept of original sin, all of mankind paying for the transgressions of to individuals, then if you are rational enough to agree that um, the story of Adam and Eve is probably figurative, then you're left with kind of Jesus dying for a metaphor. Um, they'll 
hold off for now. But anyway, so this guy was like as thick as a brick wall. And people kept trying to nicely reason with him. And I think uh, the thread started when I had gone to work on Friday morning. Uh, I checked in at lunchtime. It was still going on. I came home and uh, I think it was like 10 or 11 at night and the thread was still going. And you could see f people finally losing their temper and just kind of blowing up at the guy. Uh, and he was still demanding... Um, some sort of archaeological or scientific proof. Uh, but anyway, down the rabbit hole. If you spend a lot of time on Twitter, you're bound to uh, tumble down the rabbit hole every now and then. But I don't think I can repeat on it. Well, technically, I'm, I'm free to say whatever I want. <laughs> but, you know, I try to keep the swearing to a minimum. Uh, so I won't repeat Kevin's reply to this guy. I admired his, uh, his moxie, shall we say. And I, I like Kevin's um, Twitter profile pic, too. It's Evil Spock. I don't know if you remember from the original Star Trek. I don't know if it was some kind of parallel universe storyline or something like that. But there were, there were like evil mirror opposites of the crew of the Enterprise, including an Evil Spock uh, with a goatee. <laughs> um but anyway, I'll continue with the uh, Twitter shoutouts. TX Atheist, Atheist Living in the Bible Belt. Realm of the Atheist, we should recognize religion only as we journey from it. Wayne the Atheist. And then Nietzsche. Well, not the real Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche's dead. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, uh, tomato, tomato. I think you can pronounce it either way. Um, then not only did Nietzsche follow me, but Frederick Nietzsche followed me. <laughs> Neither one of them the real Nietzsche because he's still dead. Uh, Raphael Teada, I think. Mr. Fantoma, free thinker, history lover, atheist, at least until God's existence can be proven. <clears throat> I hear you. Let's see. J of the Hominins. <laughs> uh, Antonio J. Campos, Dragon Ball Z Brazil. I used to like Dragon Ball Z. Um, let's see, Religious Truth, and then, oh, Ray Discomfort, I mentioned Ray Discomfort, uh, last week, so, uh, I imagine that does it for now. Okay, so I knew I had a correction to make, and if you follow the show on Twitter, you probably already heard me mention it. Kind of reminds me of the early days of the show, when I was always half-jokingly making these, uh, neurotic self-corrections, because I was so worried about catching flack, um, from people, even over uh, minor mistakes. But I was talking about the figure uh, known as Apollonius of Tyana, um, a first century individual who is thought to be an example of the fact that there were numerous purported miracle workers um, around the time of the first century, not, not just Jesus. And I mentioned that he was a Neo-Pythagorean uh, philosopher, but I pronounced it Neo-Pythagorean. Uh, no big deal in the grand scheme of things, but I figured I'd correct it anyway. And it reminds me, I can't believe it, um, even from a young age, I had an interest in uh, philosophy, but I was largely self-taught, so I'd read a lot of books, but I 
was kind of naive when it came to the uh, pronunciations. And I can remember being like in my very late teens, early 20s at a party and talking uh, about philosophy with someone. And and I think I referred to the uh, Pythagorean theorem as a Pythagorean theorem or something like that. And the person I was talking to, you know, kind of as nicely as possible, let me know that the proper pronunciation was Pythagorean. And I remember being embarrassed as one of those things where I said, well, I'll, I'll never say it wrong again. You know, and here I am <laughs> all these years later. And I did it again. Um, but anyway, all of us probably remember hearing about the uh, Pythagorean theorem in, uh, you know, in high school or whatever, or uh, middle school. And we usually associate Pythagoras with uh, mathematics, uh, which is um, appropriate, of course. But he also had uh, these kind of like spiritual views, and eventually he gained um, this kind of cult-like following. Um, and even centuries later, like I'm, Apollonius of Tyana was active in the uh, first century CE, and he was a Neo-Pythagorean, uh, almost a Pythagorean again. But again, the reason why I was discussing this figure, Apollonius, I was trying to make a point regarding something I'd alluded to on the show many times, that supposedly there were numerous supposed um, miracle workers and kind of messianic figures uh, in the ancient world. Um, and Jesus wasn't rare in, in that sense. And uh, well, I do have good news instead of simply humbling myself. I remember I told you guys, I, I read a quote that supposedly is from Bart Ehrman, um, a renowned biblical scholar, or at least, uh, um, if not his quote exactly, it's at least a, a story he uses in some of his books, uh, in one of his textbooks, and also in one of his books that was uh, released for mass consumption or whatever. Um, and I offered up a caveat, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't leading you guys astray, that I wasn't 100% certain that it actually was uh, associated with Bart Ehrman. Um, but I actually reached out to uh, Bart Ehrman on Facebook, and I think it was the next day he got right back to me, and he said, yep, I used that quote in um, a couple of my books. So that's pretty cool, so I can give you the stamp of approval on that quote. And in case you don't remember it, I'll play it for you again now. Even before he was born, it was known that he would be someone special, a supernatural being, informed mother, the child she was to conceive, would not be a mere mortal, but would be divine. He was born miraculously, and he became an unusually precocious young man. As an adult, he left home and went on an itinerant preaching ministry, urging its listeners to live not the material things of this world, but for what is spiritual. He gathered a number of disciples around him, who became convinced that his teachings were divinely inspired, in no small part because he himself was divine. He proved it to them by doing many miracles, healing the sick, casting out demons, and raising the dead. But at the end of his life, he roused opposition, and his enemies delivered him over to the Roman authorities for judgment. Still after he left this world, he returned to meet his followers in order to convince them that he was not really dead, but lived on in the heavenly realm. Later, some of his followers wrote books about him. 
Okay, so that takes care of that. And I really like that music I use in the background there. And I don't know if it's exact or not, but it reminds me of some of the background music used in one of my favorite documentaries. Uh, the Frontline series that was released years ago entitled From Jesus to Christ, The First Christians. But I have that uh, loop via GarageBand, and I know I can use it without having to worry about uh, copyright infringement, and I love it. So plan on hearing more of that in the future. And I also wanted to add a new feature to the show where somewhere during each episode, maybe I recommend something to you guys. Nothing to do with uh, a sponsor or anything like that, just something that I enjoy. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think maybe you'll enjoy too. So maybe this week it will be From Jesus to Christ. And like I mentioned, this this documentary series originally came out years ago. I don't know if it's like 10 years old now or what. But um, I remember it was hard to come by for a while after it kind of uh, finished its initial run on PBS. But then um, for a while you could get like four, three or four um, VHS uh, pack version of it. Um but then eventually they condensed all the episodes onto one DVD. And I think I got for cheap money. I can't remember if it was off of Amazon or eBay. But you can look for, for uh, From Jesus to Christ, The First Christians. And you can usually get it for maybe, I don't know, I think I got for like 10 or 14 bucks at the time. Uh, and it's on one DVD. And whether you're a believer or not, if you have an interest in ancient history and world religion, especially if you have an interest in the uh, first century. It's just a great do documentary. Um, it's pretty objective. You, you know, it's, it's not um, hitting you over the head with religion, and um, it's not necessarily um, trying to be so scholarly that it robs all the magic out of the... Uh, Jesus story for you if you happen to be a believer, but it features a lot of prominent biblical scholars, and it just talks about the culture that Jesus arose out of. Then it goes beyond the um, crucifixion and the death to talk about Paul and talk about the um, what biblical scholars call the Jesus movement, basically, you know, Christianity before it was even called Christianity. But it's really cool. So maybe you can check that out from Jesus to Christ. And uh, it's probably one of the sor sources that uh, really helped give me a full understanding of uh, early Christianity. I think what I'll do now is cover a few news stories. So first up, I think all three of these stories come from the HuffPost religion. This, this is kind of a nice one. It's not necessarily anti-religion uh, or anything. Um, I think it's one that hopefully, to some degree, we can all get behind. Uh, and the title is Berlin Plans House of One, a place where Jews, Muslims, and Christians will pray under the same roof. A rabbi, an imam, and a pastor, <laughs> that's not the beginning of a joke, are planning to pull off an interfaith miracle in the heart of Berlin, Germany, by creating a sacred space for three religions under one roof. The House of the One will be a shared place of prayer and learning for the city's Christian, Muslim, and Jewish communities that celebrates the commonalities of the religions longest associated with Berlin. 
On Tuesday, it came one step closer to becoming a reality with the kickoff of a crowdfunding campaign, reports the local. Everyone's doing crowd uh, <laughs> sourcing or crowdfunding now. Let me see. The unusual project was initiated by Gregor Hoberg, a Protestant pastor. He is joined by Rabbi Tovia Ben Koren and Imam Kader Sansi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Berlin is the city of the peaceful fall of the Berlin Wall and the peaceful coexistence of believers from different faiths. They yearn to understand each other, Holberg told the Independent. The chosen site on Museum Island is rich with history, housing the remains of Berlin's earliest church, the Petrakirche, I think it is. <laughs> My German's not so good. Uh, and a Latin school, which dates back to 1350. When archaeologists excavated the area in 2009, they quickly agreed that something visionary and forward-looking should be built on what is the founding site of Berlin, Hoberg says. The organizers are planning to finance the 43,500,000 euro project entirely through crowdfunding, with one brick costing just 10 euro. Uh, 10 euros, rather, sorry. A symbolic first brick was handed over on Tuesday to start the process. According to the local, construction will begin in earnest once the first 10 million euros is raised. Well, you know, it's on the one hand, I might not believe in the supernatural claims of any of those three Abrahamic faiths. Um, but it's nice for a change, instead of hearing about religions warring against each other, that they're at least trying to do something in the name of peace and uh, trying to do something that will bring multiple faiths together. I'll take a story about Muslims, Jews, and Christians praying under the same roof any day over hearing about um, explosions in pizza parlors or... Uh, people being murdered in the streets for um, drawing a, uh, you know, an image of the uh, Prophet Muhammad. So I think e even though I'm not religious, even though, as you probably know by now, I'm a skeptic and a non-believer, I, I still think it's a nice story. And um, as corny as it might sound, I think it's probably even a step forward towards a better world. Um, anytime we can get people to choose peaceful coexistence over... Um, animosity and conflict you know it's, it's a good thing and here's another positive religious story what's happening uh, okay and this is from the huff post too and this one's titled pope francis inside every christian is a jew vatican city underscoring the close ties between christianity and judaism and calling holocaust denial madness pope francis told an interviewer that inside every christian is a jew in a wide-ranging interview published Friday, June 13th, in Spain's La, Vag La Vanguardia, La Vanguardia newspaper, the Pope said dialogue between the two faiths can sometimes be a hot potato. I'm just picturing the Pope saying hot potato. I believe that interreligious dialogue must investigate the Jewish roots of Christianity and the Christian flowering of Judaism. The Christian flowering of Judaism, I guess. Francis said, I understand it is a challenge, a hot potato, but it is possible to live as brothers. Francis's statement seems to go further than his predecessor, St. John Paul II, who made head headlines in 1986 as the first pope to visit Rome's main synagogue and declared Jews to be the elder brothers of the Christian faith. 
Every day I pray with the Psalms of David. My prayer is Jewish. Then I have the Eucharist, which is Christian, the Argentine pontiff added. Well, I think this is positive too. And one thing I've spoken a lot about on the show is how clear it is that Christianity has Jewish roots, that Judaism is the mother religion of Christianity, just as Hinduism is the mother religion of Buddhism. Um, Jesus was Jewish. The people he preached to would have been Jewish. Uh, The apostles were Jewish. Paul was Jewish. Three out of four of the evangelists were Jewish. Um, And so one thing that never made sense to me is Christian anti-Semitism. Christianity is essentially a Jewish faith. Um, It may have lost a lot of its Jewish flavor over the uh, centuries as it became predominantly more Gentile, but its roots are firmly planted in Judaism. So let's see, one more story. And this is an interesting one. It's kind of a positive one, too, I guess. Um, And this is about a guy I've seen a lot on... uh, Yeah, I've described my politics on the show before. I consider myself basically to be... uh, politically independent, but I do lean um, strongly progressive on certain social issues like gay marriage, uh, legalizing marijuana, things like that. And uh, so I get my news from all different sources, but sometimes I'll watch MSNBC and I've seen this guy on there a lot. His name is uh, Frank Schaefer. Uh, and, and he is a formal, uh, and he's a former evangelical leader. Um, but the the story is entitled Frank Schaefer, former evangelical leader, is a self-declared atheist who believes in God. And I'll read a bit from the article. According to the title of his new book, Frank Schaefer is an atheist, but he prays every day and he goes to church every weekend. Catch him on the right day and he'll admit he believes in God. Schaefer 62 is comfortable with the confusion. Formerly evangelical royalty, he and his preacher, theologian father, Francis Schaefer, helped found the religious right. He eschews easy definitions and embraces beliefs and doubt, certainty and uncertainty, life and all its messiness. The fact that I have had a transformative journey has meant one thing, he said in a telephone interview from his home in Western Massachusetts. Whoa, that dude's from Massachusetts too? Okay. Uh, I reject labels. The way I identify is as a human being. Life is a journey, not a series of conclusions. And I know that I have changed my mind on things before. And how he's gone from steeped in the blood Christian to vocal non-believer, from Christian conservative to liberal Democrat, from Hollywood director to novelist, from angry young man to slightly less angry older man, chronicled in two bestsellers, Crazy for God and Sex Mom and God. That's twisted. But the new book, Why I Am an Atheist Who Believes in God, is less memoir and more distillation of wisdom he's called from his own journey. He spells it out in the subtitle, How to Give Love, Create Beauty, and Find Peace. I do not always believe, let alone know if God exists, Schaefer writes in the book. I do not always know he, she, or it. That's what I always say, he, she, or it. Does not exist either. Though there are long patches in my life when it seems God never did exist. What I know is that I see the creator in Jesus or nowhere. What I know is that I see Jesus in my children and grandchildren's love. I rediscover hope again and again through his wife, Jeannie's love. What I know is that sometimes something too good to be true is true. 
Fuzzy declarations like that give many atheists the heebie-jeebies, not Schaefer. Well, he sometimes writes lines that could have been spilled from the pen of arch-atheist Richard Dawkins. He calls the Bible disgustingly misogynistic. On other pages, he seems to borrow an idea from liberal Christians like Jim Wallace. So um, that's interesting. And yeah, even me, I get a little bit of the heebie-jeebies too when he talks about how I see the creator in Jesus or nowhere. Uh, to me, I, I don't see the creator really uh, technically in any of man's uh, man-made religions. Um, I think if, and that's a big if, if there is a creator, if there is some higher power, I think it transcends man-made uh, religion in all of its um, primitive uh, notions. But it is interesting. I, I do admire his bravery uh, or his honesty in the sense that he admits to and embraces the confusion. And maybe, you know, some days he feels like more of an atheist than others. Um, I can uh, relate to that. It's an ongoing struggle. Um, I consider myself, you know, like a strong agnostic, an agnostic atheist. Um, agnostic because I believe it would be kind of hubristic or extremely arrogant to claim that you know with 100% certainty whether there is or isn't, uh, you know, a higher power, but atheistic because I have really big doubts about it. And I think most people get their belief in a higher power mainly from the religions they were indoctrinated into. And to me, all those religions seem painfully man-made. Of course, people also get a sense of uh, belief from other things. You know, people talk about a vague feeling that there's a higher power or they feel like something helped them out at a tough point in their life. But to me, that's not empirical evidence. That's a vague notion or, you know, it's kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling, but it, it, it's not definitive proof of a higher power. Uh, but anyway, now I've quickly covered three stories. I think those were pretty good stories. Um... I'll probably call it quits. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter, like the show on Facebook, check out the Week in Doubt YouTube channel, listen to the show on Stitcher. You can review or subscribe through iTunes. You can check out the archives and the latest episodes on Podbean. While you're at the official Week in Doubt Podbean page, you can also make a donation to the show if you'd like through the PayPal widget, as little as 99 cents. I think you can also become like a monthly contributor or patron or patron, or patron through patreon.com. I think it's like patreon.com slash the Week in Doubt, but look for the Week in Doubt there. I've seen some people like the Young Turks or um, what's the other... Uh, podcast I like. Uh, I think it's Geek Beat or something like that, uh, hosted by Callie Lewis. Um, I see some people are like getting huge buildings, you know, made or whatever off of uh, listener donations. I am very modest. I would be very happy with like a dollar a month. But as I always say, I don't like it when podcasters guilt me. So I shall in turn try not to guilt you. And uh, of course, at the end of the day, uh, it's up to you. At some point, I hope to actually create more content, like uh, mini documentaries, hopefully someday finish that book I'm, I'm working on, stuff like that, so I feel like I can actually give you guys 
um, a product that maybe, you know, you can buy off of iTunes or something like that instead of seeing like a beggar with my hand out. But for now, I won't refuse if anyone wants to donate via PayPal or uh, Patreon. But anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Thanks for listening. And until next week.